Before we get going, could you do me a massive favor and press the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast? You'll be actively helping the podcast to develop and grow, so I'll be really grateful. Vision and Graft, a career and resilience companion with Richard William Preisner. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Vision and Graft. I'm Richard William Preisner. And on this episode, I'm going to be chatting to award-winning portrait photographer, Drew Forsyth, who is based in Manchester in the UK. I worked with Drew quite a few years ago um, when I was a camera operator and he was a photographer on a job we were both doing. And um, it's been great to get to know him a little better. Drew's very humble and hilarious. He cracked me up a lot. So it's a very approachable episode. He's also really forthcoming with suggestions and his experiences too. He's very generous with sharing that. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear what he's got to say. Don't forget as well, in only two more episodes time, I'm going to be announcing the winners of the Roscoe Mixbook competition. Have a listen during the break with instructions of how to enter. So I won't talk anymore. I'll let a conversation do the talking. Let's go over to the episode. How did it all begin? How did you become a photographer and what's the journey been like so far? Yeah, big, big question. <laughs> how, how did I become a photographer? Well, I first kind of started getting into photography, like a lot of people, I think, when I got my first camera phone when I was 15, I think, something like that, 15, 16. And then, you know, it was a hobby. It was a hobby for years and years and years, all the way through university. And it wasn't really until... Yeah, like my kind of second, third year of university, I was in the drama club and they said, um, oh, can you take photographs of our show? And we need some headshots of the cast for the program. So you've got a camera. You know, by that point, I had my first SLR and I was like, yeah, okay. And I did that and that kind of lit the torch paper. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that kind of really ignited it in me as like a, a bigger part of my life, even though it was still a hobby. And then, yeah, through university, leaving, through jobs and whatever, it was always just ticking away in the background, in the background, in the background. And I started to get more and more people asking me if I could shoot stuff for them. And eventually it got to the point where I was like, right, I guess I'm a freelance photographer now. And I kind of registered self-employed and jumped through all the kind of administrative hoops that come with that. And that was about eight years ago, I think. (laughs) I think, I think. It feels like 100 years ago. But yeah, that was about eight years ago, eight or nine, something like that. And yeah, since then, it's all been smooth sailing and everything's been perfectly and it's all fine. <laughs> and, all, and, and none of my hairs are grey. <laughs> I know, yeah, well, yeah, obviously there's, yeah, the, you know, you learn a lot on the job, I think, with photography. And obviously, you know, you make a lot of mistakes. And I, I've made a ton of mistakes, uh, you know, in the last however many years it has been of shooting. But yeah, obviously there are ways to combat that. So it's been an incredibly rewarding and exciting experience. And photography has opened doors that to other people are sealed shut. So yeah, it's been great. I love it. I absolutely love it. That's amazing. I've noticed whilst looking at your work that you've got quite a strong focus on dance in your work. And I was kind of wondering what the importance of of having a specialism is to you as a photographer, but also why specifically dance? Yeah, I think the thing about dance that I find really, really interesting is the physical toll that it takes on people and the emotional intensity of it. And yeah, just how it looks. I mean, you know, I studied performing arts at university. I didn't study photography. You know, I've got no formal photography training. 
but you know, for dance is one of those things where I had the opportunity to photograph a ballerina very, very early on in my career. I did it, and there was just something about it that I just thought, oh my God, this is, this is really special. Was there an element of dance in your course, in the performing arts course? Or? Not really, but I was kind of in that world. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was kind of in that, and you know, being in Amdram musicals and stuff like that, you learn a bit of dance. And around that time, I was working at the Edinburgh Festival kind of every summer. And that was where I really got exposed to a lot of dance. And that kind of um, really altered my perception of what dance was. Because, you know, up until that point, I had this kind of very stuffy view which was like oh you know ballet you know blah blah it's, you know sugar plum fairy or whatever and then being at the edinburgh festival i remember just going and seeing 10 12 15 dance shows over the course of a month and just seeing all this stuff like you know just the sheer amount of contemporary dance that i was just completely unaware of and i remember seeing one show in particular which was eight guys the most muscular athletic physically fit guys you've ever met it was an hour-long show, and they, this show was all about kind of male bonding and, you know, like masculinity and, and all that kind of thing, but told through contemporary dance. And I just remember walking out there and going, oh, my God, this is absolutely incredible. You know, so all that stuff, like being in the kind of performing arts world, being exposed to all that stuff at the Edinburgh Festival, and also, you know, plug, plug, plugging away at photography, it all kind of came together around that time. And yeah, and I did my first dance shoot and it, and it was brilliant. And the feedback that I got from my friends and other dancers, I guess, was really, really supportive and encouraging. And, you know, I immediately knew that I wanted to pursue that. So, yeah. Has there been any benefits that have come from having this sort of like a specialism in that way? Having a specialism has definitely helped me, I think, especially when I was starting out because it gave me a focus that I think a lot of photographers don't necessarily have when they're first starting out. Like when you first start out in photography, you just shoot everything, you know, and, and often you see it on um, photographers who are very early on in their careers. You know, you go on their website, there's like portraits, weddings, food, jewelry, still life, sunsets, and, you know, there's all these different categories. Um, but I never really had that. I only ever really had three, which was portraits, performing arts, and weddings, like we kind of already discussed, because, you know, that's one thing that you tend to gravitate towards when you first start out doing photography for some bizarre reason. I have no idea why, because it is one of the most stressful <laughs> photography assignments you can take. Anyway, <laughs> having a specialism has been great because it has kind of given me a focus that a lot of photographers probably necessarily wouldn't have. And it kind of marks you out in the crowd, I guess. You know, it kind of, it makes you stand out. And, you know, ballet, it's so niche. Dance photography is niche. But, you know, contemporary ballet dance photography is even more niche. Mm -hmm. And it kind of, you know, you stick in people's minds when people say, what do you do? And I go, oh, well, I'm a dance photographer. And they go, oh, that's interesting. You know what I mean? So it's kind of, it's been great. And also, you know, photographing dance teaches you a lot about photography in general. You know, you learn a lot about the technical execution of how to take a dance photo. You know what I mean? Even when I look mm. at my kind of corporate portrait work now, the staff at, you know, a large tech company, when I do their portraits, they get the same lighting as like the principal ballerinas. Yeah. And I only, only learned how to do the principal ballerina lighting from, you know, spending time with them and figuring out what looks good on the body and how, how do you make someone's face look good when they're flying through the air? 
<laughs> you know, so yeah. it kind of taught me a lot about that. And and yeah, you know, having a specialism has been really, really valuable, I think, but uh, in more of an abstract way than I would have necessarily anticipated. And, you know, it's so interesting because a lot of my corporate clients who come to me now and they say, we love your ballet work and we'd love you to come and take our staff headshots. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> Happy to do, do you it. Have them leaping? Not sure how they. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, always bring a little trampoline. <laughs> have them flying through the air. Uh, <laughs> is that is that what you have to do with the ballerinas to get the height? Do you have them leaping on trampolines and things like that? No, no, no. I never do. Some photographers do, but the, my emphasis is on the kind of authenticity of it. So no trampolines or anything like that. That said, yeah. when I'm shooting on location, what I often do is, you know, even if I'm in the middle of nowhere. I will bring like a, a little strip of dance floor for them to move around on, especially if the ground is very uneven, you know, shooting ballet on location, mm-hmm. it, you know, has its uh, dangers, I guess you would say. Yeah. So, you know, from safeguarding, I'll do that. But no, what, what you see is, is what's happening. Just because I think like ballet in particular, but dance more generally, is such an impressive physical feat. You know what I mean? See, I don't think you necessarily need kind of hidden secrets and tips and whatever in order to get a great dance shot. Because I feel like once you find out, oh, well, they had a big trampoline, it kind of takes away something from the images, I think. But, you know, obviously you have to judge that on a case-by-case basis. I remember doing a shoot a couple of years ago now, and the only location we had access to, because it was a commercial client, the only location we had access to was a, a warehouse with a solid concrete floor. Now, if you've got, if you're a principal ballerina, you cannot jump up and down on the same spot for two hours on a solid concrete floor because you're going to injure yourself. So, you know, you do have to think about, you know, little bits and pieces to help out with with things like that. But uh, you have to avoid broken ankles, I imagine. (laughs) Yes, broken ankles, shin splints. Um, Reminded me of running at high school. Oh, yeah. You know, it's all that stuff. And you do have to be very, very careful because, you know, often you find yourself working with, um, you know, it's like working with a pro athlete, working with a principal ballerina. You have to be very, very mindful of their physical, you know, the demands that it takes on their bodies. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. So I've noticed recently on your social media and last year that you featured on BBC Breakfast a couple of times throughout the pandemic, discussing the impact of um, COVID on your business and kind of being quite open about how that's affected you. I was kind of wondering, how did this come about? And why do you feel it was important to share your experiences so widely, yeah. like nationally? <laughs> yeah, good question. How did it come about? The first time around, it was a bit of luck, I guess you would call it. So um, BBC News were actually on location with one of my clients interviewing them about something else. And then on that day, the Chancellor announced that there was going to be an update to some uh, self-employment you know, grant scheme stuff, and they wanted to talk to a freelancer. So um, my client rang me and said, oh, BBC News are here if they want to interview someone who's been affected by COVID, blah, blah, blah. And I said, great, I'm on my way. So <laughs> I jumped in an Uber <laughs> and, you know, I was in front of the camera about an hour later just talking about it. So yeah, so it was a bit of a coincidence slash stroke of luck, I guess. And then... About nine months Mm -hmm. later, the the journalist got back in touch and said, you know, we're doing a follow-up piece. We want to speak to you and see how things are now compared to how they were 
you know, nine months ago, would you be up for that? And I said, yes, absolutely. So yeah, we, we did another interview. And it was great. It was, it was really, really nice to have that kind of platform to speak about my experiences. Um, I don't know what yours was like, but my social media over the course of the pandemic was pretty bleak. Obviously, as part of my job, I'm surrounded by people who work in performing arts and who work in, you know, industries that were incredibly hard hit. Photography is not something you can do remotely, <laughs> much as a lot of my colleagues tried. And, you know, with, with some success, I should say. But, yeah. um, you know, profits were down 85% at one point. Do you know what I mean? So I wanted, I wanted to talk about it because, like, because it was really, really tough. And I wanted to kind of give a voice to the people who have really struggled. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's whole sections of society who, who, yeah, found it incredibly difficult from not only a financial perspective, but also from a mental health perspective and from a physical health perspective as well. And, yeah, I wanted to kind of speak to to some of that, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. I managed to take advantage of the self-employment grant scheme. But, you know, there's also a level of people who missed out on that. You know, I mean, I was speaking to one of my friends who lived down in London. She's a dancer in the West End. And, you know, she said that the first round of self-employment grant scheme, in her first round, it was £61 that she got. And in her second round, it was 58 or something. You go, oh, my Goodness, you know. Jesus. And I, yeah, there's an awful lot of self-employed folk in this country. So I wanted to, yeah, like speak about my experiences and try to, yeah, give a voice to people who, who wouldn't necessarily have had that opportunity. So. Yeah, that's a very noble thing to do. And I, I remember, definitely, I remember um, how social media was. I mean, this podcast was kind of born out of that time where things mm. were quite bleak for me. And I was essentially trying to find a bit of an outlet to speak on some issues that were bothering me more widely in my industry as well as uh, during the pandemic. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of my photography colleagues managed to do these kind of creative projects. You know, I know a few people who did like doorstop, in inverted commas, projects, you know, taking portraits of people stood on their doorstops and uh, doorsteps, I should say, or like other creative things and, you know, whatever. But I just, I couldn't really handle it especially in that first period of lockdown, kind of April, May 2020, just because it was just so overwhelming. Yeah. And then it wasn't, you know, it wasn't until kind of June-ish, you know, that I started to, to do work again. And then, um, yeah, I just spent a lot of time kind of doing more introspective stuff, like um, mm -hmm. sorting out all my gear, figuring out what I need, what I don't need, what I use, what I don't use. You know, and it was around that time that I switched camera systems, which is incredibly stressful and difficult financially or whatever, and kind of decided to teach myself new software. And so I did, I focused more on that rather than like putting stuff out into the world. So I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it. <laughs> I know what you mean. I think I had a similar creative drought right at the beginning. Uh, I saw that other people were being very creative and I, I just, I moved out of London right. and my focus was sort of on that. So just because of the upheaval on a whim, I was kind of shocked mm. out of my creativity and it took me a while to get it back, which has sort of been the first time in my life I ever had that experience because I've always been quite a creative person or searching for it. So yeah, similar experience there. <laughs> so you mentioned to me before when we had a conversation last time that you do personal projects in your photography and they're quite an important part of being a photographer. Where do you draw your inspiration from for your personal work? 
I would say a big chunk of my inspiration comes from music. Like music is a huge part of my life. Like I love discovering new artists, listening to music, going to gigs. And a lot of the time when I'm listening to a piece of music, if you close your eyes, like you can kind of see, well, I can't, anyway, that's what I do. I kind of close my eyes and I see what stuff kind of comes into my head. Do you know what I mean? So kind of like, it's almost like you're trying to design a music video in your head. <laughs> like visualize it, essentially. Yeah, so like visualize it. And, you know, certain songs make you feel and certain pieces of music make you feel a certain way. And, you know what I mean? So, yeah, music is a huge part of my creative process. And that's where I draw a lot of inspiration from. But, you know, typically it's the world around me. You know, it's music. It's, um, I walk a lot. So, you know, spending time in the countryside, a lot of, Times it's uh, from being in the shower. <laughs> I get a lot of, you know, I love taking a long shower and like just letting my mind wander and, you know, letting me think about personal projects or creative things or whatever. And then as well, you know, it's spending time with people who are not photographers. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I think, like, in the answer to this question, the thing that I kind of, I guess, would become obvious is that, like, it's not other photographers. Like, I don't look mm -hmm. at other photographers' work and go, oh, my God, that's incredible, that's so inspiring. I have an illness where I look at their work and I go, God damn it, I should have shot that. <laughs> like, <laughs> why isn't that in my portfolio? So, <laughs> I think that's a, there's a pandemic of that illness too. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, you know, and I wish I was the kind of person who could kind of dip into Instagram or dip into Vogue or Vanity Fair and look at the pictures and go, oh, wow, that's so inspiring, I should you know, do something similar. I look at it and I just go, oh, no! <laughs> so, you know, as much as I can, I, I try and get my inspiration from outside the photography world. And, uh, you know, especially the kind of projects that I do, at the moment I'm working on one which is about preparation, I guess you would call it. It hasn't, it's still at the very early stages. You know, it's about working with people who do extraordinary things on a daily basis. And, you know, the classic example would be a surgeon prepping for a very intense piece of surgery. You know what I mean? So like photographing them, kind of going through all the stuff that they have to do in order to, you know, as they're getting scrubbed down, as they're laying out all their um, equipment, you know, they're speaking, to, they're consulting with the patient, you know, all that stuff over the course of a day or a few hours, photographing them right up to the moment where they begin and then the kind of five minutes afterwards. So that's the projects I'm working on at the moment. So, and it's, you know, looking at, finding career paths that have that singular act that to the person is just their normal day, but to everyone else, it's a hugely extraordinary act. So, you know, the first part of it I've already shot, which is um, working with a principal ballerina. She's about to go on stage. Now, this is something that she does every single... She does it eight times a week. And to her, it's very uh, normal or whatever. But, you know, if there's a little girl sitting in the front row of the auditorium and they see a ballerina on stage for the first time, it could, it could change their lives. Mm -hmm. But to the ballerina, it's their job and it's an everyday thing. So that's something that I find really interesting. Anyway, coming back to where do you find inspiration, this is a project that I've been working on for a little while. It's still in the early stages, but I'm, you know, working on it for a little while. I find that like talking to other people about that kind of thing can lead to you meeting people and discovering new avenues and like thinking about aspects of it that you never thought about before. But it can, it can also lead to someone saying, well, my friend's a, a rally car driver. You can photograph him. Yeah. I'm like, oh, That's okay. Cool. 
You know what I mean? So like by talking about the projects, and obviously that's not going to work with every project, but by talking about them to other people, they can give you really valuable insights and they can also kind of introduce you to, because it would have never occurred to me, like, oh yeah, rally driver. That's kind of really visually interesting. The person has to go through a tremendous amount of preparation before they sit in the car. There's an entire team behind them. Like it's incredibly high pressure, but to them it's very normal. Yeah. So yeah, I find talking to other people about projects is, is really, really valuable. And when you do these personal projects, you know, you're not getting money out of it. So what do you get out of that? What's the benefit for you? I would say the benefit is there's twofold. So firstly, it is an expression of my artistic inner monologue. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm doing yeah. it because I feel artistically compelled to do it. There's something magical that draws me to that subject or draws me to that person or whatever. And it's like, a, it's like an expression of my artistic voice, I guess. So that's the first thing. Um, mm-hmm. The second reason, much more cynical slash commercial, uh, is that like um, by doing personal projects, people in the photography industry take note of you. And like when I'm being hired by clients, you know, my clients are not interested in the portraits that I shot for X company. But what they are interested in is the three weeks that I uh, spent in Arizona photographing whatever. Do you know what I mean? Or they're they're interested in the, you know, the 30 minutes before a ballerina goes on stage. Or they're interested in that kind of much more creative, autonomous, self-led project work. But that's very much the byproduct of doing the personal project. You know what I mean? That's like, that's like the nice consequence of you doing the personal project. But in the first instance, doing the project is like an expression of your artistic voice. Do you feel like it's something that you need to do? Yeah, definitely. It's like lancing a boil. Like you've got to get it out of you. <laughs> or, you know, or it's like uh, drying a pair of uh, swimming trunks after you leave the pool. <laughs> like you, you, you have to, like, I've got, I've got to, like, purge myself of this stuff because otherwise it just kind of builds up and builds up and builds up. So, yeah, I, I have to do it. I'm struggling to um, articulate it, I guess because it's so emotional. And, like, by trying to articulate it, you're tr- almost trying to translate an emotion into a rational reason. But so often... You can't. You know, there are some projects where someone says, oh, what, what drew you to photographing those foxgloves in that, in that certain way? And I'm just like, uh, yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> like, there's just, something about, there's just something about it that I find really, really interesting. And uh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> you know just I mean? felt it. So I don't know. Yeah, you just, yeah, you just feel it. And then, you know, the, the difficult part is being much more deliberate with your artistic choices and analyzing your own work and trying to figure out, okay, well, what, there must be something. What is it specifically about this that draws you to that? And that is the, the journey you go on as an artist is trying to figure out the answer to that. And, uh, you know, I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> but uh, we're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> I'll check back in in like 40, 50 years and see if you've got the answer. Yes. Did you manage it? No? Okay. Well, the pictures still look good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. As long as that's the conclusion. The pictures look great though. I mean, I feel like I'm on a similar quest and I'm, I'm not feeling hopeful I'm going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. Competition time. If you're enjoying the conversation, please can you do me a favor and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts? It's super easy to do. And if you let me know you've left a review using the Get In Touch page on visiongraph.com, 
or by sending me a message on the Vision and Graft Instagram at Vision Graft, you'll be automatically entered for free into one of the monthly draws to win a Roscoe Mixbook Digital Swatch Book. This very useful tool enables you to pre-visualize colored gels and LED colors, and they're really useful for those working in film, photography, or lighting design to plan which colors they could use in their lighting. I use mine all the time in my planning, and I couldn't be without it. Spread the word if any of your mates would be interested in getting their hands on one. The competition is free to enter. If you really want a mixed book and you'd like to increase your chances, if you repost any of my posts on the Vision and Graft Instagram to your story, I will add an extra entry into the competition for you if you let me know that you've done that. The last date for entry is midnight the 31st of August 2022 and I'll contact the winner directly to arrange their new mixbook delivery. The competition is only available to residents of the UK, EU, USA and Canada but if you'd still like to leave me a review if you're outside of those areas I will very much appreciate that. Full terms and conditions are available at visiongraph.com. Good luck with the competition, now back to the show. So moving on, can you tell me about the biggest hurdle that you've faced in your career and what you've done to manage this? The thing you encounter when you introduce yourself as a photographer or you tell someone that you want to be a photographer, a lot of people, the first thing they say is, oh, it's very competitive. Oh, it's very competitive. Oh, you're never going to make any money doing that. And I would say the biggest hurdle that I've had to overcome is dealing with that kind of opinion slash negativity and figuring out ways to overcome that because if you know if you are told that every single day for you know eight years you start to believe it and you start to go oh my goodness yeah well actually it is very competitive you know maybe it's not the biggest hurdle but it's one of the things that I have had to grapple with for years you know that kind of thing when you pitch an idea to someone or you pitch you are kind of talking about creative concepts or whatever you know, people saying, oh, that seems a bit hard. And the most fulfilling, creative, exciting, dynamic work that I've ever made has been when I've pitched an idea to someone and they've gone, yeah, sounds great. And often I'm taken aback because, uh, you know, I'm so used to people saying, oh, well, that's great, you know, but maybe we can tone it down a bit. When people actually do say, oh, yes, let's do it. Sometimes you pitch an idea that's so mad that you start to worry. <laughs> Like, oh, no, I've got to actually do it now. You know, as, you know, with one example, I remember working with like a group of comedians, like a sketch comedy group. They wanted to do something, you know, so often with portraits of comedians, they're all doing a funny face and they're all on a white background or whatever. We kind of wanted to do something away from that. We wanted to, you know, shoot on location and have something that was quite visually arresting. And so we went into the meeting. I had like 10 or 12 different concepts. I was all preps. And the, my first one, I said like, okay, I think all three of you should sit on like the same horse. Because like three people sitting on a horse is like, you would never see that <laughs> unless there was a huge problem. You would never see three people sitting on a horse. <laughs> fully expecting them to be like, what are you talking about? No, we want to hire a studio. And they just said, yeah, all right, sounds good. Guess we'll just do that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, all right then. <laughs> so, Shit. You know, we did that. And uh, <laughs> yes, yes, it was. <laughs> and yes, it was incredibly difficult. And, you know, working with live animals who don't behave and uh, working with, you know, some of the talent who have got a pathological fear of horses and, uh, you know, lying front down on, uh, you know, in, in horse manure. But these are all little problems and problems mm -hmm. get solved. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, so like one of the big things that I've had to overcome kind of in my own brain 
is uh, going, actually, yeah, let's just do that. Let's not think about, you know, don't think about how difficult it is or how many people have tried it and it hasn't worked out or like, you know, it's, so it's been that, it's been like a, I guess like a mindset thing. Mm -hmm. I hesitate to use that word because like a lot of very boring people use the word mindset, but uh, yeah, it's that kind of thing, I guess. Yeah. So it's sort of um, trying to think about what can go right instead of what could possibly go wrong. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely that. It's thinking about, God, imagine if this worked. Wouldn't, there, wouldn't it be amazing if? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's that kind of thing. And, you know, it hasn't always worked out, granted. But, like, it can lead you down all these amazing creative paths that you just would never have thought of if you dismissed stuff instantly, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it's not that these days, you know, in as we sit here in 2021, photography is incredibly accessible. You know, you just need a, you need a phone. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, like just having that encouragement and, you know, that kind of optimism, I guess, that eternal optimism that things are going to be fine and you will find a way around things, you know? Yeah. That's what I try to do to combat that. So do you have to kind of protect that way of thinking from people who will come to you and say, photography is very competitive, not necessarily you're not going to make it or whatever, but like the negativity that it can bring you, like do you have to kind of keep your, you know, what they're saying in your head away from your ideas and, and your creative freedom to stop that negativity from impacting that and being too like, oh, I shouldn't do that. That won't work out the way I want it to. I guess so. I would say it like it comes in two categories. So with that initial like, oh, it's very competitive or whatever, I encountered that a lot when I was first starting out and I was very insecure when I first started out. So I was like, oh my God, maybe they're right. Now, if I meet someone and they go, oh, that must be uh, very competitive, I go, yeah, I guess so. You know, but I have the answer now, which is, uh, yes, it is very competitive. <laughs> but, you know, you make it work. <laughs> like, you know, being a figure skater is very, uh, very competitive. I don't know. Well, people <laughs> like, do you know, it. And, you know, yeah, people do do it. So, yeah, so I don't mind. I don't really mind now when, when people, uh, and I've heard it so much, you know what I mean? Like, it's the first thing people say. Mm -hmm. That and, uh, oh, I hate having my photo taken. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. That's all right. Take a seat. Um, yeah, so, so there's that. And then the kind of other realm where I encounter it is in the commercial world, in the as part of the creative process. Now, when you say like, oh, do you kind of protect that or whatever? In the very early stages of a project, yes. Because I always think the creative at the very early stages of any project is like trying to light a bonfire or it's like trying to light a campfire. Right, you've got this tiny little flame, and you're just trying to breathe a little bit of oxygen onto it, and you're just like, and you know, if someone comes over and goes, um, actually, we don't think we can do that, it's the equivalent of someone stamping on it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So at the beginning, I'm very, very protective of the initial idea and you know, like the creative, whatever. But then once it's fully formed and I have a concept and fleshed it all out or whatever, it is then ready to stand up to scrutiny. Yeah. Because then at that point, you do have to think about practicalities. You do have to think, okay, well, actually, how are we going to do photograph six people underwater? And sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't work. So, you know, like, yeah, I think there is absolutely a time and a place for, you know, constructive criticism, I guess, or like uh, tearing the idea apart or whatever. But that has to come slightly later on down the road. If that comes too early on in the process, then I, I don't like it. <laughs> I might, my idea has to stand up. Uh, I've got to get my idea up on its feet first and then it can, you know, whatever. 
I saw that you recently took a break from work and social media combined. I think you went on a holiday. How important is um, having that time off to you and stepping back? And what benefits does this bring to your kind of work and personal well-being, mental well-being? I would say for me, it's one of the single most important things that I do is taking time away, decompressing, which is what I call it. It's almost like coming up from the seafloor. So every month or so, I make sure I take a couple of days, you know, during the work week to get out of the office and just kind of experience the world a little bit. I love walking in the countryside. You know, I love going to the beach, regardless of the time of year. I'm just kind of getting away a little bit and allowing myself to, allowing my brain to breathe. I think with, um, when you're self-employed and, you know, you're freelance and you're, I think there is a lot of pressure on you to be constantly hustling and constantly doing something. And then you, you see these people on social media who are kind of in, actively encouraging you to work until 11 o'clock at night and, you know, get up at 4 a.m. and work out. And then you don't need food. You just need this powder. And yeah. you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I think there's, a lot, there's an awful lot of pressure on, on people to do all this mad stuff in pursuit of something. <laughs> I don't really know what the the end goal is for all that stuff. But yeah, I, I basically, I'm, what, what I'm kind of talking about is like having a work-life balance. And uh, I find that the best way for me to do that is to every now and again, take a step back, even if it's just a morning, you know, getting a train out to the Lake District or the Peak District and just walking and, you know, allowing your brain to breathe a little bit. Because if you don't do that, you get burnt out. Mm. And, you know, you're not as effective at what you do. Do you know what I mean? Now, you know, it's easy for me to sit here and say this now at year eight or nine or how 10 or whatever year I'm in. When I was first starting out, I I didn't have the luxury of being able to take a morning off or a day off. You know, I was working eight days a week. But now the older I get and the more I move through this path, it's like, you know, the more I start to think, well, this is it. This is my life. Like I've chosen this. And if I just keep doing it every single hour that God sends, it is not sustainable in the long term. You know what I mean? So you do, you have to take some time, take a little step back, and you find that it gives you just an amazing amount of perspective. Do you know what I mean? And it, it, you can approach problems with a, with a more clear mind, and you know, you're not constantly tired. <laughs> like, honestly, you'd be amazed what a two-hour walk around a lake would do. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, a lot of my friends are big advocates of, like, wild swimming and stuff like that. Now, you know, that is, I have tried it. It's awful cold. Uh, it's my kind of main thing. It is cold. My, si- my sister's currently in the Lake District doing that right now, and I'm like, oh, I'm not sure I want to be doing that. Yeah. Did you really do it unless it was on your Insta story? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, it's... So I take that... I try to, as much as I can and as often as I can, to just take, like, even just a couple of hours off and away from things... And it's just incredibly valuable. And you don't realize how valuable it is until you're really, really burnt out. And then, you know, someone said to me, someone replied to my Insta story, actually, just before I went on holiday and said, uh, well, you looking tired. <laughs> you go, well, that's weird, actually, because I don't really feel super tired. But, you know, people are starting to notice whatever. And then I stopped and looked at my diary and looked at my life. And I thought, yeah, there's probably a reason I'm really grumpy all the time. And I'm snapping at people I love. And, you know, like, so having that time, yeah. And I think there's absolutely no shame in taking time off. And guess what? The world does not stop when you take a day off. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, it's fine. Like, I, you know, before I went on holiday, I, I said to my clients, oh, I can't shoot next week because I'm on holiday. And they were like, okay, fine. You know what I mean? They're not suddenly like, well, in that case, see ya, <laughs> because we're not working with you anymore. Like, it doesn't work like that. People go on holiday. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's for the same reason that I, yeah, I try to maintain a really healthy work-life balance as much as I can. I'm in the office by 9.30 every morning and I'm out the door by six o'clock because, you know, like I have a life and like all those things that I've spoken about, going walking, going to live music, seeing my friends, interacting with people, whatever. You, you can't do that if you're just stuck in the studio or in the office or working from home and like burying yourself in, in your work. Do you know what I mean? It, it's not sustainable. You cannot do that forever. And then, you know, you miss things. You miss your friends' weddings. You miss, you know, like all sorts of these huge, amazing, important experiences. And for what? So, yeah, I'm a big advocate of um, taking time off. Yeah, you're persuading me there. I mean, I'm on an hour and about having a little a little break in uh, about three weeks and you've borderline persuaded me <laughs> with what you're saying there. <laughs> Again, there is a practical element to all of this. So I deliberately take holiday in August because that's when a lot of my clients are on holiday. You know what I mean? Yes, granted, you're going to pay more for flights and whatever if, if you decide that you're going to go abroad. But yeah, even just taking a Friday off, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And guess what? People with normal jobs do this. <laughs> they put their out-of-office on and they go off on a Friday and the world doesn't end. It's fine. You know, I've got friends in London who are lawyers and, you know, it's 6.15 every evening. They're posting uh, boomerangs on their Insta story of them chinking glasses together. Like, so like, <laughs> you know, and they're lawyers. You know, I'm a photographer. I'm not exactly saving lives here. Like, <laughs> you know, so yeah, a bit of perspective is always really good. And like, yeah, just taking some time off and, and it's fine. And if you're worried about time, I guess like figure out why it is that you really jump back all the time and try and be analytical about your own working practices and spend time working on the business as well as working in the business. Yeah, well, that sounds like very good advice. Sort of relates to what you're just talking about. Do you have any techniques for keeping on track with your mental well-being? So, for example, I write a journal every morning. I actually haven't done it for last week because I've been so busy with work. But I write a journal every morning or um, some people meditate or whatever. I just wonder if you have any kind of practices that you know are other than what you've mentioned. Yes, I do, I think. I walk to work. That's one of, one of the big things that I do that I realize a lot of people don't do. Now, obviously, I have the luxury of walking to work. A lot of people don't. But, you know, it's 35, 40-minute walk. And in that time, it really gives me a chance. On the way to work, it really gives me the chance to think about what I'm going to do that day, think about what I want to achieve, think about, you know, kind of get myself in the headspace of like, okay, here we go, here, here's work. Mm -hmm. And then on the walk home, it has this beautiful effect of me being able to let things go. So on that 40-minute walk home, I can just, you know, get lost in my own thoughts and, and just, you know, slowly but surely let go of the day. And then by the time I'm home, I'm not an absolutely insufferable bore. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So like walking to and from work, I think, is really, really valuable. That's what I do. I always have a holiday booked in. Now, when I say holiday, that can even be like a day off a Friday afternoon, I always have something booked in because then I've got something to look forward to. Yeah. Like having something to look forward to 
is just so, so important. And like, you know, you're not even really aiming for it, but like you find that just having just a little bit of like time set aside that's just for you or for you and your partner or, you know, whatever, you and your friends, having stuff to look forward to, I think is really, really, really valuable. Like, so that's a, yeah, that's a big one. And I talk to myself a lot. That's the last thing I'd say. I talk out loud to myself a lot. <laughs> and I find that really, really helps me get to grips with issues that I'm overcoming or problems, whatever. Because I find so often if I'm really struggling with something or let's say I receive a, a difficult email from a client or, you know, someone's being demanding and, you know, blah, 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 blah. I find so often if I verbalize it, it becomes just another little thing that I have to take care of rather than it being some huge issue that I, you know, spiral over. <laughs> Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like saying out loud, like, oh, that's a spicy email. <laughs> like suddenly takes the power out of it and you go, oh, right, okay, well, I guess I just have to reply now. I've never thought of that. I mean, I've taken to writing down thoughts when I'm, you know, when I've got something locked in my mm. head and I'm, especially if I'm on my own, I can't like, like, how do I get this out of like, I've learned to write down to get it sort of out of my head and onto paper. I've never thought of speaking it. That sounds like a really good thing to try. It's more instant, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, much more instant. And then as well, I find the thing that's really, really valuable and it's, you know, I guess it's, involves other people rather than it just being just me is that I, you know, I work alongside people who face the same problems as me. Do you know what I mean? I, I work alongside other photographers, you know, in the office. I share an office with two other photographers. It's nice having people there who are facing the same problems as you. And then when you do get that bad email or you do get an issue, one, the person who's sitting opposite you can go, oh yeah, I had that. Um, I just ended up uh, hiring one instead. And you go, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Or like they go, uh, oh, you know, if you're facing that issue, I, I found this amazing online resource. You should check it out. And suddenly, you know, that gives you some perspective that you wouldn't necessarily have if you were just working on your own. So, yeah, I find finding a little and having a little community and network is really, really valuable. That's great. That's great. You're full of good advice here, Drew. This is perfect. Do you have a goal in mind that you're aiming for in your career? Is there an end point in your head? I would say there isn't really an end point. There's stuff that I would like to achieve in my career, but I wouldn't necessarily say that there's an end point. You know, I'm not sitting here going, yes, one day I want to have a retrospective of my work at the New York Metropolitan Museum of Modern Art. You know, that's not my kind of end goal. My kind of career goal, I guess, is to travel the world and photograph the most interesting and exciting experts, people, you know, of our time, I guess. And kind of, I guess, like, another big career goal for me is just, you know, <laughs> supreme autonomy. <laughs> like, being able to just choose what I do when I do it. Do you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like, having the means to be able to do that, having the kind of financial support, the emotional support, you know, the physical health and well-being support, like, to just be able to do whatever I want. <laughs> so that's what a dream. Of, that's kind of it. Also, I'd love to be able to just walk into a shop and not have to worry about the money. <laughs> that, would be a, that would be a nice thing. Do you know what I mean? The shops get more expensive as the money gets bigger, though, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, why is that? Yeah. I, the more I'm earning, the more expensive my taste gets. <laughs> yeah, if I still get in 10p mix from the news agents, then I'd, I'd be able to empty the place. Although 10p mix nowadays is, you can't get 10 sweets for 10p anymore. 
That's changed. The the relentless march of time. We're unfortunately going along with it. Um, So the tagline for Vision and Graft is, if talking is the cure, then creativity is the recovery. How do you find that being creative helps you when dealing with life's challenges, both in your career and personally? I find photography to be rehabilitative, I guess, and almost medicinal in the way that it helps me. You know, it's it's the way that I'm able to express myself. It's, you know, it's the way that I'm able to communicate complicated ideas and I'm able to show the world kind of what I see. And it has such an important role in my life that nothing else kind of really comes close to. You know, when I think about difficult things I've had to deal with in my life, I found looking back that that has been when I'm most creative and take the biggest risks with my personal work and with my commercial work. And and I find photography, even in, in a very chaotic world, photography is a still point in that world. And, and I'm able to use photography to kind of deal with some of these more difficult things that you face as a adult human male. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's fantastic. That's a brilliant answer. It's nice that your your work has such meaning for you. You know, it's great to hear. Well, thank you. Finally, what gives you hope? Okay. You know what it is. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. What gives me hope? <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat. I can't remember who said this, but there is a famous quote somewhere where someone said that often when looking back at music, people would go, oh yeah, 1969, it's the greatest year for music. Oh man, 1987, it's the greatest year for music. Appetite for Destruction came out, Guns N' Roses, you know, whatever. I can't remember who said this, but someone said the greatest year for music is every year because you get to experience all of the old stuff, but then you get a whole slice of new stuff as well. So like when you ask what gives you hope, I think like seeing the incredible amount of creativity that happens every single year, you know, all the time, that makes me hopeful. I used to be one of those boring guys that was like, oh yeah, no great music made after 1993. You know what I mean? But then actually... Why don't you stop and listen for a goddamn second, you know, and think about what you'd be ruling out. You just like, yeah, so that makes me really hopeful is seeing like the incredible ability for art to move me and to shape my world vision on a daily basis. Amazing. That's a fantastic answer and a brilliant way to bring the podcast to an end. Thank you so much, Drew, for chatting to me on Vision and Graft. Really appreciate it. And I'm sure that all the tidbits that you've given are going to be like very helpful for anyone listening, photographer or non-photographer alike. So thank you so much for being open and I'm very, very grateful for that. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Find us online at visiongraft.com. And for updates, follow Will on Instagram at visiongraft.com.